The Bible reading from tonight comes from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to that. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and ruler of the kingdom of the air, spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is, in, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works, which Christ prepared for advance for us to do. Thank you. Evening, everyone. My name is Daryl, and I haven't been here for about a month. And I'm away again this week. Many of you will be aware, and some of you may not be aware, about a month ago my dad had a massive stroke and uh, <clears throat> had made some improvement uh, in rehab, and just this past week he's reached a sort of a plateau point where he's not, no longer continuing to improve, so he still has very limited physical uh, movements, uh, he doesn't have his communication skills back yet, so he can say yes, he can say no, and that's about it. Uh, vision is impaired on the right-hand side, can't feed himself. And tomorrow we're moving him to a nursing home in Narendra, which is a blessing because that's where he certainly wants to be. Uh, that's where my sister is, his daughter, um, and her name is Cheryl. And um, she's not wanting to participate too much in some of the practicalities of moving Dad to the nursing home, so it necessitates me going down and getting all the mail transferred up here and monitoring all of those sorts of things. And, so that brings a certain pressure to bear upon one's life. But there's also an emotional drain that some of you would be very aware of. of it's a grieving process that, you're going, that I'm going through of doing things for the very last time. So I'm not really looking forward to this week of going and I will be cleaning out his, you know, his wardrobe and giving him clothes and making sure all of his clothes are labelled and all that stuff and fixing up some of the financial things and going to the solicitors to begin the process of selling the house. So I would appreciate certainly prayer for myself just to be sustained this week and to make wise decisions, wise choices, to have an improving relationship with my sister and ultimately for my dad, who is not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus, that he would come to faith. I've been praying almost every day for him. I vary it sometimes, but primarily I've been praying that God would convict him of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's the reality. He needs to come to an understanding of who Jesus is and of the response that he has to make. So that's where I'm up to with uh, my journey of faith. Um, and I am very grateful to the Lord Jesus for his grace in my life. The changes that he introduced, how he saved me from a very different lifestyle. And I'm grateful for his presence and his strengthening 
through this part of life's journey. I do not, uh, cannot comprehend how anybody could do this without following him. I don't understand it at all. I know my own weaknesses and dependency upon him. So tonight I am going to just, I trust under God's anointing, under his help, just look at this passage of scripture because it, it reflects very honestly about the human condition and it gives us the solution. And we of all people, as followers of the Lord Jesus, can afford to be very honest about the human condition. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Oh, before I do that, I've got a couple of other things to announce. Um, to pray with me in a moment and we'll jump into the scriptures. And then in about 10 minutes we'll close. Is that all right? Last Sunday, Saturday night, we had a Christmas carols evening, a fundraising for Care Outreach, which is the magnificent ministry, particularly to Queenslanders, not just it goes further out west than that, I think, but it does a great thing with Bill Close. Bill will come in God's goodness one Sunday in the future at some point and tell us more exciting stories about the ministry and for us to get involved in it. But last Sunday night, uh, Saturday night, we were able to raise about $2,500 towards Care Outreach. So that was well done, Sunny Bank. And another thing that we're wanting to do and starting to do, we need to get it started in the next couple of weeks, is that uh, we have a large property that God has provided for us. And of course, at the age of the property, it's going to need ongoing maintenance, care and fixing. So we're trying to put together a property team. We're not talking about people with very high skills of tradesmen, electricians and builders, plumbers and carpenters and bricklayers, all that. We're not talking about those guys. We still need them and we... Uh, uh, worker is worthy of their hire and we'll pay them accordingly when we need those sorts of things done. Nor are we talking about people who are very gifted with their hands, like very skilled um, handymen, uh, that some people can do professionally even, or that many blokes and some women are very good at fixing stuff and you enjoy it. I'm hopeless at it, so I'm the sort of person we're looking for, uh, almost. We're looking for a third category of people. Perhaps you're a university student, you've got time on your hand, maybe you're retired, maybe you're in an employment situation where you've got some time during the week. We're wanting to put together a team of people who can turn up on a very consistent basis here at the office and work with Leona because there are often little things that just have to get done. Like what? Well, changing light globes. I shouldn't draw your attention to it, but over the, a certain doorway, there is a globe which is out. Now, that's not a simple solution, but that's actually not a good situation for us to be in. We can be fine for not having that exit light illuminated. And it's not a simple process of just changing the globe either. I thought it was, but Leander's informed me, no, there's, there's something wrong with the power supply, so we actually need an electrician to come and do that, so she's looking into that. Um, but that other sort of thing of changing light globes around the place in the buildings or in the storerooms or keeping them tidy over summer particularly it's something like watering the lawn of moving the sprinklers of general cleanup around the garden or even of doing the edges for the guys the people who come in and do the mowing and things there's lots of maintenance things that just need doing in a property the size that we have so we're looking for some volunteers if you are available if you're keen or able, then uh, fill it in on the yellow card, let me know, come see me. In a couple of weeks we'll have a meeting and we'll talk through what the responsibilities of this exactly are and see who we have and who we can commit to. It's not something we can neglect, it's something we have to respond to and so our first step is can we get volunteers to do this, hence 
we're trying to put together this property team. So please, please give that some consideration. And if you think someone would be very suitable for this, then tap them on the shoulder and encourage them to do exactly that. Would you do that? Good on you. Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather together as your people. We want to thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for the gifts, the many spiritual blessings that you have made available to us. Salvation through the Lord Jesus, the presence of your spirit, the gift of your word, the fellowship of your people, the spiritual gifts that you've endowed your children with. Father, we pray that you might do a work here this night in each of our lives. I pray for my dad that you would convict him of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. You're the only one who can do it, Lord. And pray for myself likewise, you'll go before me into this week and that you'll help me to make wise, sensible decisions that are going to be a benefit to him and that won't be detrimental to the wider family. Lord, thank you again that we can be together and we look to you now to speak to us. We ask it because Jesus is our Lord. Amen. H.G. Wells, a famous philosopher, once made this comment at the beginning of his life. He said, man is basically good. At the end of his life, the same person, H.G. Wells, concluded, man is not worth educating. It is a waste. We are an enigma. At a time when some people are enjoying the highest standards of living, two-thirds of the world lives in poverty. At a time when the mind of man can produce intricate, medical, life-saving equipment, that same intelligence has prepared the means of blowing us apart. We are a riddle. We make marriages and we break them. We deal with people who try to have a child, infertility, and, and can't, and we turn around and kill the unborn babies. We create masterpieces of art and we build terrible building situations, building slums. Uh, you may not be aware of it, but in a church plant in Sydney in a community called Minto, you may or may not have heard of Minto, they built just an absolutely disastrous um, situation where they put people in great need and put them all together. And now 30 years later, the government has made a decision they're going to bulldoze Minto and start again and redo it. They're confessing, they're admitting they got it wrong. We've developed telephone links around the world. Most of us have got a mobile. And yet we fail to communicate with our neighbours and even with fellow family members. And it's not just out there. It's when we look in here, when we look into ourselves, we're also a puzzle. With our same mouth, we can sing songs of praise to God and we can utter words of anger or attack or be malicious towards others. With the same arms, we can hug people. And with these same arms, we can be violent to people. With the same eyes, we can watch a beautiful sunset or we can watch inappropriate programs or magazines or whatever. We are full of contradictions. And I think the Bible, and this passage in particular, is very honest with us. It seems that uh, we are incapable by ourselves of being able to manage our own lives. 
We can't create a just, fair, equitable society. We've been trying and failing. Sure, some are better than others, but inevitably there are injustices, there are inequalities. And it all comes down to the truth. It's because we ourselves personally are flawed. The Bible is rather pessimistic when it looks at us, honestly, but pessimistic. But the Bible is very optimistic about God. So this passage outlines for us of what we are by nature. We are flawed and we are spiritually in, we're in mess. But God. God hasn't left us like that. God has acted. God has been very kind and loving and merciful towards us. This is a passage that the Apostle Paul writes to a group of believers in Ephesus. He says, Paul, an apostle in chapter 1, verse 1. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the believers. This passage is for us as followers of the Lord Jesus. This is a reminder in chapter 2 of don't forget where we have come from. Don't ignore or play down what we are really like in ourselves. We ought never to forget that. Because in the process of not forgetting it, we are reminded and exalting the grace and the glory of God revealed to us in the person of the Lord Jesus. Well, what does this passage say or show to us? Well, two parts. What we were by ourselves, and then secondly, what has God done about it? That's our simple outline. Man by nature, verses 1 to 3. And Paul gives us three pictures, if you like. He says, firstly, we were dead. You were dead through trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of the flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. Three things he primarily says. We are dead, not physically, spiritually. And he amplifies that a little bit. He says, we were not only dead, we are enslaved. And he talks about three things that have enslaved us. And then if that wasn't enough, we are people who are condemned. We are under condemnation. That's the reality. This is my dad. This is his situation. People outside of Christ are, towards God, spiritually dead, unresponsive. Corpse doesn't hear. Corpse doesn't see corpse doesn't respond that's what people outside of christ are like they are not sensitive to god's spirit they're not responsive to god's spirit they are blind to god's glory deaf to god's voice there's no quickening in their heart of response towards him there's no abba father response towards god their heavenly father this is what sin has done to us we are spiritually dead through sins and trespasses through the things we have done and through the things we have omitted to do, through overstepping the law, breaking the law, or even of neglecting it, of falling short, of achieving it. We are firstly spiritually dead. For those of you who are followers of the Lord Jesus, it's worth bearing in mind that when you are talking to people who are not followers of the Lord Jesus, and that's our commission, when you're having these conversations with them, this is the perspective to bear in mind. They won't understand, they won't get it. So every time there is some sort of response, there's some sort of inquiry, means God is doing something. 
I've been attending a gym. One of the highlights of the gym is not just getting fit, but one of the highlights of the gym is I get to talk to non-Christians. I'm surrounded by believers most of the time. I find non-Christians a refreshing change. <clears throat> We're all sinners, aren't we? This guy asked me the other day about baptism. Have I been baptised? How old was I when I'd been baptised? Have I committed a sin since I was baptised? Do I have to get baptised again? Well, where did those questions come from? Here is somebody who is spiritually dead. Somebody who has no response to God. Where is it coming from? Well, God's doing something in this guy's life. God's tapping him on the shoulder. God's tugging on the heartstrings. He's doing something and he's asking questions. Bear that in mind and you heard these conversations. People are spiritually dead. Not only dead, but Paul uses a different analogy. He talks about as being enslaved. He says that um, we were following the course of this world, following the ruler of the prince of the air, power of the air, the spirit that is now working in those who are disobedient. And he says, verse 3, we were following the desires of the flesh, the world, the devil, and even within our own flesh. These things enslaved us. Stuart Briscoe writes, so when it comes down to it, most people are governed more by contemporary standards than eternal truth. And they feel more persuaded by what people think of them than by what God has said. We are following the course of this world. We are more concerned, we're going with the flow. We're following the influence of those around us. That's what Paul means, the course of this world. And of course, then he says there is this other spiritual influence. There is a ruler of the power of the air. There is a demonic kingdom. There is a Satan, the ruler of this kingdom, and he's invisible to the power of the air. And he is at work. He is active. And he is particularly active in those who are disobedient. And at one time, pre-Christ, we were following him and under his influence as well. Apostle Paul says in another passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, last verse, verse 26, he talks about how we ought to, um, how we should live our Christian life and if God wills that people might be set free from the devil who has taken them captive to do his will, that's his phrase, that the devil has taken them captive to do his will. So that should guide us in our praying for our unbelieving loved ones, friends and colleagues and so on and for yourself, depending on where you are spiritually. We are enslaved to the world, enslaved in Satan's kingdom. You're either in God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom, and under Satan's kingdom you are under his oppressive rule. And then thirdly, it's not just out there, it's in here. We're also enslaved to the passions of the flesh, verse 3, following the desires of the flesh and of the senses, or of the body and of the mind, as you could translate it. Um, it's both uh, faulty thinking and wrong motivations. It's influencing us and affects us. Um, God is the one who has given us desires, the passions of the flesh, if you like. But what Paul is talking about here is those desires that have been skewed, those desires that have gone astray. God gave us the good natural desire to eat. But the desire to eat too much, gluttony, is the sin. That's the passions of the mind that are leading us astray. Or uh, desire for sleep is natural and good, but too much is sloth, sinful. God has given us healthy sexual desires, but too much becomes lust. 
and so on. It's a distortion of the very good things that God has, the Creator has given us. We are captive to them. But they're also sins of the mind, passions of the mind, of pride, false ambition, of rejecting truth, malicious thoughts. And this is true for all of us. Not just the worst of humankind, but all of us have this same condition, spiritually dead, outside of Christ, spiritually dead, enslaved to the world, the flesh and the devil, and under condemnation. That's what Paul says. We not only have this internal uh, resonance within us, we not only have the outside influence of us, but it's the evil one working through both of those, outside and inside of us, to lead us astray and to bring dishonour to God's name. And as a result, verse 3, we are children of wrath. And we're in this condition by nature. We were by nature children of wrath, wrath, like everyone else. God's wrath is not a bad temper. It's not him being moody. It's not being spiteful or anything like God's wrath. That everybody who is born, we're in this situation by birth. We are born sinners who then go on to commit sin. It's not that we are born innocent and pure and that when we do our first sin, then we become sinners. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's the other way around. We are born bent. We're born flawed. We're born sinful. We are born under condemnation, under wrath. And God's wrath is his personal response to evil. It's his settled refusal to compromise with it. It's his resolve to deal with it. And he will. Why hasn't he till now? Because he's being very patient and he's giving people time to repent and to respond to his working in their life. But there is coming a day where his wrath will be revealed, when his wrath will be demonstrated at the judgment day. And like I said, we're in this situation, we're helpless. We're in a hopeless condition. We are here by birth, by nature. It's in our DNA. We've inherited it. Well, it's not the full picture. It's certainly an accurate picture. Paul doesn't tell us anything about some of the benefits. We're made in God's image. He doesn't talk about that. And even that's flawed. It's not removed. We still are in the image of God. But it's now distorted and impeded. It doesn't, Paul doesn't tell us too much about the different degrees uh, theologically of depravity that we have we're not all as bad as everybody else there are degrees of badness in us he doesn't talk about that but what he does say which is true for all of us is that we outside of christ we are spiritually dead we are enslaved and we are under condemnation in a hopeless situation which makes verse 4 magnificent but god that's what we are by birth that's what we are by nature what can happen well god needs to intervene. That's what verse 4 tells us. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, enslaved, under condemnation, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what he did with Jesus, he has done with us. He made us alive, he has raised us with Jesus, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. Why? So that in the future ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in the Lord Jesus. God has acted in our world 
And I know most of you know this story, but this is the story that we have to be talking about. This is the story that we have to be telling others about. And this is the story we have to continue to apply to our own lives. Don't forget our real what our real situation was. Never forget that. And never play down or take for granted or ignore this incredible grace and kindness of God towards us. But God, verse 5, verse 8, has saved us. By Jesus, with Jesus and in Jesus. What God did with Jesus, he did with us, made us alive, raised us up, seated us in the heavenly places, which gives us great certainty. If, if we have been made alive, if we have responded to Christ, then we are in the process of being changed, which is where he's going to go in this passage, in this paragraph. But it's worth pointing out, asking the question, why did God do this? But God, why didn't he just leave us? Well, it wasn't because God looked upon us and he saw something good in us and he went, oh, I'd like to save or change that. No, there's nothing in us that moved God. It was in him. It's his heart. It's his character. The passage emphasizes that. It's God who is rich in mercy out of his great love with which he loves us. It's by his grace. And in verse 7, it's, uh, his kindness, his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, which is demonstrated towards us. Not in us. Something in him moved him to act this way towards us. Well, why did he do this? Verse 7 gives us God's agenda. This is incredible. This is our future. So that in the ages to come, in the future... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. We are going to be trophies. We are going to be exhibits of what God has done in our lives in this world. Somebody um, has rightly said, uh, the galaxies demonstrate God's power. So to the resurrection of Jesus, God's power. The angels demonstrate God's holiness. Hell demonstrates God's justice and wrath. But the redeemed, the saints in heaven, will demonstrate God's grace and kindness. Trophies of grace. That's why God has done it, to bring honour and glory to himself. That's what God is doing. That's his agenda. And this passage says to us, verse 8, that God has acted this way in our lives by grace, through faith, for good works. So if you analyse the passage, the Apostle Paul is saying this, God has acted in our world to save us. He has saved us from sin, being dead, bound and condemned. He has saved us from sin. He has saved us by grace. He saves us through faith and he saves us for good works, which is what he gets to in verse 10. It is by grace, not of our own doing, gift of God. It's not a reward. God hasn't been gracious to me because I'm nicer than somebody else or kinder than somebody else or more generous than somebody else. No, God has just been gracious and kind towards me. A person who was spiritually unresponsive, a person who was bound and following the world, um, oppressed by the evil one and bound and following my own sinful desires and natures. I was... Ignoring God and going far astray, but, but God acted in my life, convicted me of sin, 
placed life within me, raised me from the dead so that I could respond to him, gave me faith. I am the recipient of his grace. And it's through faith. It's simply, faith is not some merit within me. It's me simply believing what God is saying. It's me putting out my hands and saying thank you. It's receiving what he's giving me. And the purpose, verse 10, is for good works. For, um, for we are what he has made us, created us in Christ Jesus for good works. We have been redeemed, transformed to be doing good things. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. So, controversial question. Is it possible for me to be saved and not to have any evidence of it, to not demonstrate that in my life? The answer is no. You'll know them by their fruits. There has to be the demonstration of change in our life. And of course, there are exceptions to that. You might be thinking, well, the thief on the cross didn't demonstrate change in his life. Well, I would beg to differ slightly. He demonstrated a real change of attitude and heart, an amazing insight and faith when you understand what he did. And he was at the end of his life. So too for us. If God has acted in our life and we have been raised from the dead, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, then there is a transformation process going on. We are not perfect. We are flawed. Remember where we have come from. But God hasn't left us there. He's in the process of fixing us, transforming us, placing his spirit within us. And so there are choices that we are to make. But verse 10 does remind us that the saints, those who have accepted Jesus, who have bowed the knee, who confess that he is Lord, who seek to please and to honour him, that those people are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Exactly what Paul emphasises through, particularly Titus, but in lots of other places as well. These good works, we are to walk in them, which God prepared in advance to be our way of life. We used to walk in sin and trespasses. Now we are to walk in life and doing good things. So the contrast is complete in this passage. The Apostle Paul, writing to the saints in Ephesus, reminds them of where they had come from and now where they were in Christ. There are only two camps, two lifestyles are contrasted, and there are two masters. What we are by nature, what we can be and must be, need to be, by grace. We're in one camp or the other. So the question for you is, which camp are you in? Well, for most of you, I'm sure you're in the camp of grace. You're out of this camp, into that camp. Perhaps some of you haven't yet made the transition. Being born in a Christian family does not place you in this camp. You can be born in a Christian family. You can be attending church all your life. You can go to our kids' church. You can be part of all of our programs. But if you have never responded personally to the claims of Christ on your life, then you are still in this camp, still in rebellion against God, still potentially spiritually unresponsive, spiritually dead, still bound, still going astray, still under condemnation. Having Christian parents does not save you. Having Christian grandparents doesn't save you. Jesus only saves you. You need to be in Christ. In Adam, spiritually dead. In Christ, spiritually alive. In Adam, part of Satan's kingdom, under his rule and oppression, him motivating you to be disobedient, motivating you to be selfish, 
continuing that sort of sinful tendencies. In God's kingdom, obedient and responsive to him. Darkness and light, sheep and goats. And only God, by his great grace, by his power, by his love and by his mercy, can transform you from here to here. What you need to do is to humbly present yourself to him and to ask him to forgive you, to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, to believe him and to receive him, to commit to living under his rule and being obedient to him, to letting him empower you and being responsive to his promptings that you might do the very th good things that God has planned in advance for us to do. These are the truths of this passage and they call us to reflect upon them. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our situation, <clears throat> simply by being born into this world, is one of great spiritual need, of tremendous spiritual poverty, a situation of hopelessness. But you, in your kindness and goodness, in your sovereign plan, you have acted in our world. You have come in the person of the Lord Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin by your spirit to raise us from the dead spiritually, to deliver us from being enslaved, to bring us out from being condemned and to bring us into a situation of being justified, set free. Lord Jesus, I ask that you might forgive us for our sin, for our trespasses, for our rebellions and for any areas where we have been ignoring you. We want to submit to you tonight, acknowledging that you are Lord and the rightful master. Lord, we believe you and trust you and we invite you to live in us and to rule through us. Empower us, Lord, by your spirit to be transformed and to be committed to doing the good things that you have prepared in advance for us to do. May we, Lord, be treasures and trophies of your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing our last song together.
Lord God, thank you so much that um, 